0: And then Dickie will have our uh, reading and prayer. One more song, and then Chris has our lesson this evening. Our first song tonight is going to be on the overhead only Light the Fire. If you would let stand for this song, please. Light the Fire. I stand. Next song is number 843, 843, as the deer next song this evening again on the overhead only feel the nails feel the nails after this dickie will have our reading and prayer
1: This evening's scripture reading comes from 1 John 3.1. 1 1 John 3.1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on, on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Let's go to God in prayer. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. We're thankful for this opportunity to gather here this evening, To hear your word and sing songs of praise to you, Father. Father, it's our desire and will that everything said and done here tonight is pleasing to thy sight. Father, we thank you for the love that you have for us. We thank you for Jesus and what he did for us. It's through his death, burial, and resurrection that we know, Father, we have an opportunity to live with thee in heaven, Father. Father, we ask that you be with the church here at Rome. You be with its elders, you guide and direct them, and you be with the church so that they may go into the community and better serve and bring people to you, Father. And it's our desire that if someone here tonight has not obeyed your will and put you on in baptism, that tonight would be that night, that they would be pricked in the heart and touched and submit to you, Father, submit to the will that you want them to be. Father, we have several that are sick that are, Shut in, and Father, we ask that you especially be with Jimmy Wilgus. Father, we ask that you hold them in your hands and bless them, comfort them like only you know that they need, Father. Father, we thank you for Jesus and the love that he had for us, and it's in his name that we pray, amen.
0: Our song of invitation tonight will be number 655, 655, There's a Fountain Free. Now if you would, let's stand again. We'll sing number 213. He gave me a song. 213.
2: He took my burdens all the way up to a brighter
3: and privileges, doesn't it? And the contract you sign for your job, it had probably a job description, at least some expectations for you there, things that you would do to gain that check that they give you. Uh, So there are demands and there are privileges. There are also demands and privileges in marriage. We don't maybe think about it like that in those terms and that contract kind of language, but that's certainly true. Whether they are spoken or unspoken, there are certain demands and privileges in marriage that we need to be aware of, right? God's law, His relationship with us, has certain demands and it has certain privileges. Tonight, from 1 John chapter. Uh, 3 verse 1, we're talking about God's demanding love and, and some of the things that His love demands from us. Certainly, He gives a great many privileges, doesn't He? Not, not the least of which is, is heaven. Not the least of which is an abundant, overflowing life. Here is John 10, 10 uh, tells us that He gives us. It's a, it's a good life, an overflowing life. Life so filled with blessings that David would say in Psalm 23 that his cup overflows. He experienced that type of relationship with God, the privileges of being in God's demanding love. David experienced those things and said, it is too much. We've experienced something similar, haven't we, with our own privileges. When we look at our lives and how good God has been to us, to surround us with a family like this, to be Able to see what he's doing in our congregation and in our community and in his world. It's good, isn't it? Our cup overflows. And so, certainly, there are privileges to being his. Those are just a couple. But there are also demands to being his, aren't there? So, I wanted to spend a little bit of time thinking through some of those demands uh, tonight. John chapter 13, verse 35. Uh, he says that His love demands display. It has to be visible, doesn't it? The, what He's done, the transformation that He's affected in us has to be visible. He says, he says, in fact, in John 13, that by this, by this type of love, by the fact that your love is visible, that everyone can see it, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He says something very similar to that in Matthew chapter 6, doesn't he? If you've got your Bibles, flip over there. It's not going to be on the screen for you. Matthew chapter 6, as he's thinking about, uh, excuse me, Matthew 5 verse 16, as he's thinking about uh, what it means to be one of his, he calls us salt and he calls us light And so we're supposed to have this redeeming factor, uh, this preserving factor on the people around us, on our world. So as he's thinking about that, as he's in that vein, that topic in verse 16, he says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When they see your good works, they'll glorify God. When they see how you love, they'll glorify God then. The first century church was very good at this, weren't they? They not only loved each other, and this morning we saw the depths to which they would go to for unity, right? That's attractive, but they would not just love each other, but they would love everyone, right? Even Stephen, when he's being persecuted, doesn't revile his murderers, does he? He asks for forgiveness from them. That type of love, when it's on full display, is attractive, but it's also necessary. He demands that our love function like that, that it is on display, but it's not on display to make us better, to make us more, uh, have a higher opinion in people's minds of us. That's not what the point of this type of love is, it is it? It's that this is an overflowing, out of us, it's not something we think about necessarily, it's something that just pours out of us. We've been so blessed, and so we bless others. This type of love just it's on display for the purpose that other people can glorify God. His love demands display in Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 35. Jesus is going to talk about this topic again. He's going to revisit this this subject in Matthew 25, and he's going to couch it in a slightly different way. He's going to say, some of you saw me naked, but you didn't give me clothes. Some of you saw me thirsty, but you didn't give me a drink. Some of you saw me in prison, but you, you didn't even visit me. And he condemns them. See, their love was sheltered, wasn't it? Sometimes our, our, our children, our small children seeing uh the light under they hide your light under a bushel. That that's what they that's what they've done. In Matthew 25, they've sheltered their love. It's not really there. Their love's not on full display because it's not really there. When we see someone hurting, what does James say in James chapter two? If you see someone cold and you say, Hey, I hope you find something warm, you, you go. Hope it works out for you. That's not love. That's also not faith, right? He says, this type of love is on display. It, it's a demand. It's not, it's not something that you get to decide whether you're going to do it or not. This is something that is necessary. This type of love is on display. First John 5, 3 reminds us that God's love demands obedience, though, too, doesn't it? For this is the love of God. That we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. I like that second part. We're we'll going to get to that in just a second. But this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. How are, you, how are people going to know that you love God? Whether you obey him or not. Right? How well you obey God? How well you follow is indicative of how much you love him. Right? That's a a uh, hard pill to swallow sometimes. In John chapter 14, verse 21, he says, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. In other words, loving the Lord and obeying Him are inseparable. You can't say that you love Him and not obey Him. Obedience is necessary. But the second part brings us to our next point, And His commandments are not burdensome. God's love demands submission. And so what is submission? What's that look like? When Saul was told to annihilate all of the the Amalekites, even had he done it, even had he obeyed, but he did it with a bad attitude, would he have been in submission to God? No, right? Right? Submission is more than obedience. It's doing the activity you've been commanded to do with a good attitude. Submission indicates that you disagree with the one that you're submitting to. If you were just to agree with them and they told you to do it, that's what you want to do, right? But submission is is something more than that. It, It almost necessitates that you would disagree with the one who is telling you to do the thing. And so you submit, you put yourself under their care. And you do the thing that you might not want to do, but you do it with a good attitude. That's submission. That's what submission looks like. Remember, his commandments are not burdensome. When Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son, the older brother enters the picture. Has that son been submissive to his father? He hasn't, has he? He stayed, and he's done everything that his father asked him to do. But is he in submission? He's not. Because his attitude is so askew. His heart is so far away from the Father's heart. He's not submitting. He may be obeying, but submission is more than obedience. Submission demands how I feel. It demands that I obey with a good attitude. Listen to what James says in James chapter 4, verse 7. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives, gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. God opposes those who are proud. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, one of the things that God hates, do you remember what he says? He leads the list with haughty eyes, right? proud look. God resists the proud. He opposes the proud. He still loves them, but He opposes them. He's not in their corner. But those who are humble, He gives grace to. So we need to submit ourselves to Him. He tells us to do some things that are difficult, some things that our worldly minds would push back against, and so we submit We say, I think that what you want for me, while I don't always agree, while that's not what I would always do, I know that you want what's best for me, and what you want is actually better than what I want. Even if I can't see it right now, this is better for me than what I want. And so I'm going to submit myself to you. I'm going to put my wisdom, such as it is, Under yours, I'm going to submit myself to you. So God's love demands that kind of submission. We don't get to do our own thing. We don't get to be the elder brother who gets to have a bad attitude. He fills a pew, doesn't he? He looks awfully good on paper, right? The elder brother, he even reviews some of the things that he's done. Right? I've been here... Working on this farm since the day the, the younger, bro- younger brother left. Never did these things for me. He never gave me a fatted calf so I can uh, party with my friends. His attitude's completely misaligned, isn't it? He's obedient, maybe. He's not submissive. God's love demands submission. It's one of the ways that we show our love for Him is in submission. To him. God's love also demands holiness. Um, 1 Peter 1.15, he says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. We're in an exclusive relationship with Yahweh. People that have been in this relationship with him in the past m- might not necessarily have understood how exclusive it was. It's very much like marriage, right? You you don't get to uh, have other spouses, right? In fact, when Yahweh was setting up this covenant, this exclusive relationship that he wanted to have with Israel in the very beginning, he meets them on Mount Sinai. and The very first thing he tells Moses, the very first commandment he gives Moses, as a matter of fact, is that he is going to be the only one they worship. You can't have any other gods instead of me. You can't have any gods in conjunction with me. I will not be second. I will be first and I will be only. You don't get to line up the gods. I'll worship Yahweh, but I'm also going to worship Baal and the Canaanite gods on the side just just every now and then. Or I'm only going to worship Yahweh half-heartedly. He says, I'm not in it for this. I am... He uses a word that you're familiar with probably. I'm a jealous God. No one else. This is, he's looking for exclusivity. He's always been looking for exclusivity. In every relationship he's ever had with anyone, he's wanted to be the one and only. Israel's problem with Yahweh was that they couldn't give that to him, or they didn't give that to him. They could have. Very much like we can, we can choose him over every other thing in our lives. And that's what he demands. He demands holiness. He demands we choose him over everything else. That we're set aside for a certain purpose. And he gets to decide what that purpose is. Israel's struggle was that they never really wanted to do that. On again, off again. If you look at their history, take the period of the judges, for example. A judge will arise and Israel will be white hot, focused on God, devoted to Him. They're not looking back. He is the one and only for them. They are. They're holy. That judge will die. And what happens immediately when that judge dies? They will wander off. And then they'll fall into slavery to another nation. They'll become a vassal nation to to one of their neighboring one of the neighboring powers. And then a new judge will come up after they cry out after so many decades for mercy. The cycle repeats itself. Israel's problem with Yahweh was that they didn't want to give him what he demanded. He demands exclusivity. He demands holiness. It's part of his love. If we're going to enjoy the privileges, we're going to have to match up to the demands as well. They refuse to. We need to be cognizant. We need to be aware of how dangerous it is to play this game, to try to serve him half-heartedly. You're either all in or you're all out. They figured that out after a couple thousand years. We need to figure that out right now and be all in. He demands holiness. His love also demands perfection. So walk, walk through this little section here with me in 1 John 2. He says in verse 4, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him." John, the apostle of love, right? He, he's, bringing, he's bringing the heat here. Verse 5, But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. When we say that his love demands perfection, we're not saying sinlessly perfect, because that's not we're not capable of that, right? Paul reminds us in Romans that we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. He's not saying... He's not looking for sinless perfection. What's he looking for? Consistency. He's looking for consistency. How focused are you? What's your track record look like? Do you live like this on Sunday and Wednesday and like this Monday through Friday? Do you live righteously, focused on his kingdom for this part, this season of your life, but in the other seasons of your life you wander like Israel during the period of the judges. He's not demanding sinless perfection. He's demanding consistency. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, are you living in him? Is, 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 is your matter of practice righteousness? Is, is your life consistent with the holiness that He demands from us? Am I frustrated by what frustrates Him? Am I loving what He loves? Am I in line with Him, or am I off doing something else? His love demands perfection. His love also demands humility. This is one that we, we dare not overlook. We've already talked about how He opposes the proud. Listen again in 1 Peter 5. He says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you. There's exaltation coming, right? There's paradise coming. There's promises that are waiting to be fulfilled. There's privileges coming. But there's also demands. There's responsibilities, right? We need to humble ourselves. We're casting all of our anxieties on Him because He cares for us. You remember King Uzziah from Second Chronicles? In the Old Testament, there's there's a king named Uzziah. He actually dies during Isaiah's reign. As Isaiah starts prophesying, King Uzziah dies. It's in Isaiah 6 that we find that out. But Uzziah, for the most part for the most part, is a good king. He's a good man. Um, reigns for a long time. Toward the middle of his reign, though, toward the end, I guess. Three quarters of the way through his reign, pride strikes this guy. And what has been an otherwise good king, a good man, pride strikes him and he enters the temple and he refuses to listen to reason. It's not his place to be offering sacrifices in the temple but that's what he's going to do and you just better move out of the way and so finally some priests stop him, they stand in his way God strikes him with leprosy and if I'm reading the text right he never repents he lives with leprosy for years decades I'm assuming in an attempt to bring him back to humility God strikes him with this leprosy and it never works in the Old Testament, that's God's MO. That's, how we, that's one of the usual, normal things that he does is he will do something like that. He'll strike somebody with something in the hopes that they will repent. He strikes eye with leprosy, but Uzziah never repents. His pride got him. God's love demands humility. It helps us remember where we stand in relation to him and where he stands in relation to us. He is vaunted, majestic, powerful, other, transcendent. And I am not. In uh, Bible class this morning, we talked a little bit about how if we're not careful, if we're not watching, if we're not paying attention, we will lift ourselves up. And it just almost happens um, by by nature, you know, almost. Uh, We lift ourselves up and that by necessity pushes him down. He says you've got to invert that. You've got to push yourself down. You've got to push down this old man of sin and you've got to lift him up to the correct place. His love demands humility. The final thing that his love demands is confidence. In uh, in 1 John 5, 13 let me take you there real quick. 1 John chapter 5 verse 13 he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So John's telling you why he wrote you this letter. I'm writing these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Are you confident? Are you confident that the privileges that we've been talking about are yours? John says, I'm writing these things to you so that you can know. Not so you can guess. Not so you can be kind of aware that they're there but so that you can know that those privileges are yours. He says you can be sure. You can be confident in your salvation. Well, what's that look like? Paul tells us a little bit of what that looks like in Romans chapter 8. He says I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor death nor height nor anything and else all, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What about hate? Nope, he's not able to do it. What, what about lust? Nope, not able to do it. What about, what about Satan? He's not able to do it. He can't pull you away from God. You can walk away. You can make a decision, and you can walk away, and your, your salvation will be lost. But he, he, he doesn't have the power to be able to pull you away. Paul says nothing has that kind of power. Once you're in God's hand... Nothing has the power to pull you away. You can walk away. And we know a lot of people that have just treated their salvation so flippantly and walked away from the church, walked away from faith, walked away from the Lord. They don't have any reason to be confident in their salvation, do they? But you do. If you're showing the demands if you're showing what God's love demands you have every right to be confident in your salvation, confident in the privileges that will be yours. So this evening if you're not confident, what are you waiting for? There's no better time to be confident about your salvation than at that very moment. Tonight if you've not been baptized into Christ, that's the one thing that's standing in between you and salvation. And there's no reason for you to stay in that condition. Tonight, if you've already been baptized and you're struggling and you need the prayers of this congregation to be sure of the privileges that can be yours as long as you follow the demands, will not you come as we stand and sing?
4: Good evening, church family. I know um, a lot of y'all are jealous on me and Gary Lee being the best two-looking gentlemen here in our shirts. So, but huh? You are gonna cry? Yeah. <laughs> uh, a couple of announcements before we are dismissed. As a reminder, this coming Saturday, Life Group Four—that's Gary's life group—will be meeting at Alan's house. Um, If you're planning on going to that, please see Alan before you leave, so that way he can plan accordingly. Um, Also, next Sunday, Life Group 2, that's Gary's Life Group, and Life Group 3, that's Jeremy's Life Group. We'll be meeting after services for lunch. Also, uh, the food pantry still needs some items um, inside the bulletin and also on the bulletin board. There's a list of food items we need. If you can help out with that, it would be greatly appreciated. Also, Wednesday is the last day for our kids to sign up for Rush. Also, September 19th is Young at Heart. Cam's Ham is our, is our destination. Uh, ladies' weekly Bible class will start back this Monday at 10 o'clock, and all ladies are invited to that. Um, also, this evening, after services tonight, Kevin Lyles be, will be speaking. Um, everyone's welcome to come to this, um, but he'll be bringing his pottery. Wheel and speaking about the clay verse in scripture so everyone's welcome to come to that, that so that should be really neat um, updates on our prayer list remember to continue to keep uh, Jimmy Wilgus in your prayers and Jim Haney and Tanya Shamblin in your prayers as they continue with their cancer treatment keep Judy Jordan and Carolyn Olin and Emily Bowen and John Klein and Jim Martin in your prayers as well um, in, in your prayers as well this week That's all the announcements I have. If you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it has been prepared in the conference room. You may leave and do that now. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer.
0: Our final song this evening is number 350. 350. Jesus, hold my hand. As I
2: travel.
5: Will you join me in closing prayer? Heavenly Father, we are so very thankful for this day, this whole day, set aside to worship you. Lord, we pray that our hearts have been drawn closer to you. And Father, help us to keep our hearts close to you throughout this week to continue searching your word for the ways that we should, the actions that we should take, and Lord, we pray that as we utter prayers, that you will hear and and answer them for us, dear Lord. Thank you so very much. Thank you for uh, this week, and we pray, Lord, that there's some something in our life that will be influential to those who do, who are unsaved and may not know you, so that we can somehow can teach them or give them the desire, Father, to turn to you and and to add their lives to those who have been saved. Lord, praise you and thank you and continue, Lord, to watch over us and hear our individual prayers as we go through the week. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.